On February 24, 1969, Airman First Class John L. Levito was assigned duty as a loadmaster aboard an AC-47 spooky gunship flying a night mission in support of Long Bin Army Post in South Vietnam when his aircraft was struck by a hostile mortar round. The resulting explosion ripped a hole three feet and one quarter inches in diameter through the wing, along with more than 3,500 holes in the fuselage. All occupants in the cargo compartment were wounded and slammed against the floor and fuselage. The explosion ripped an activated flare from the grasp of a crew member who had been launching flares to provide illumination for Army ground troops engaged in combat. Airman Levito, though stunned by the concussion of the blast and suffering over 40 fragment wounds in his back and legs, staggered to his feet and turned to assist the man nearest to him who had been knocked down and bleeding heavily. As he was moving his wounded comrade forward and away from the open cargo compartment floor, he saw the smoking flare ahead of him in the aisle. Realizing the danger involved and completely disregarding his own wounds, Airman Levito started toward the burning flare. The aircraft was partially out of control and the flare was rolling wildly from side to side. Airman Levito struggled forward despite the loss of blood from his many wounds and the partial loss of feeling in his right leg. Unable to grasp the rolling flare with his hands, he threw himself upon the burning flare. Hugging the deadly device to his body, he dragged himself back to the rear of the aircraft and hurled the flare through the open cargo door. At that instant, the flare separated and ignited in the air, but clear of the aircraft. Airman Levito, by his selfless actions, saved the aircraft and its entire crew from certain death. For his heroism, he received the Medal of Honor from President Richard M. Nixon on May 14, 1970. He is the lowest-ranking Air Force member ever to receive the honor. John Levito was a regular visitor to Dover Air Force Base and to the museum. On several occasions, he was the guest speaker at the graduation ceremonies for the Airman Leadership School. He was the Airlift Tanker Association's Hall of Fame inductee for 1998, and a C-17 Globemaster III was named for him on January 23, 1998, the spirit of John L. Levito. He passed away at his home in Connecticut on November 8, 2000. Live, learning, leadership, the Llama Lounge. Yo, welcome back to the Llama Lounge, a dialogue on all things life, learning, and leadership. This is Joe Bogdan, and I got my brother, Jose Ramon Jr., in the lounge with me today. What's up, bro? How are you doing, brother? It's been a while. Glad to be uh, yeah. here. <laughs> yeah, yes, it really has, man. I'm doing well in my deployed environment right now. Uh, man, I got, I got a bunch of great airmen out here. Um, and this, it's a combined joint environment, and it's just super rewarding, man. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Um, same thing. Uh, my squadron is is trugging along. You know, COVID has its uh, impacts on us. I mean, I'm I'm actually isolated right now. Uh, my son tested positive, but we're doing good. Luckily, the symptoms are very mild. So um, just doing the telework thing right now, which has its challenges. It's kind of funny. John kind of uh, talked a little bit about that before, about everybody being in. So I, I totally get that. Yeah, man. That's pretty wild. And uh, good thing uh, little Jose is doing well, man. It's, it, he he probably needs a break from like hollering at the females, so he's got to stay <laughs> Oh no, man, it's weird. There's a lot of emails that come through that me and my wife are monitoring closely. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> do yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> so, hey Jose, we have an amazing guest in the lounge today, don't we? 
Oh my God. Yes, we do. We absolutely do. Um, we at the lounge are, are absolutely honored to introduce this amazing human being in front of the lounge, uh, Mr. John Levito Jr. Thanks for taking the time to visit uh, the lounge, John. How are you doing? Oh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, we yeah we are very excited. I know um, John John is an avid listener of the Lama Lounge, which just really uh, made me feel like some some warmth in my heart when he told me that. And um, really appreciate you listening, supporting, and then coming on. Um, how's things in your neck of the woods, John? Good. Uh, we're having a surge right now, so um, we really didn't see much in the first uh, surge. So we're having a surge now, and you know it's community wide right now. So we're right now trying to get through that and looking forward to vaccines. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Us too. <laughs> it's wild because everybody thinks that when you're in a deployed environment, you're kind of like in this isolation where you don't, it doesn't affect you, but it still does uh, out here too. So it's, it's definitely worldwide. The pandemic changing everything we're doing. And then, you know, for me, from a point of view, it's like uh, my job is really um, looking at long-term mission and, and, and strategizing things. And it's really hard to do when you have the pandemic, you don't know what things are going to look like in three months, six months. So it's definitely a challenge. And I can imagine it's a challenge in, in, your, uh, in your field as well. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do? So I'm a chief nursing officer for a community hospital uh, we're about a hundred bed community hospital. Uh, so I'm responsible for all nursing operations in the hospital as well as some other ancillary departments. Oh, okay. Wow. So you must, you're super busy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it, the pandemic's one thing and, and then there's operations, normal operations, cause we haven't curtailed any of those. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, my wife and I were just talking about that. She's um she's a four N in the in the Air Force, a, a med tech, and we we're talking about that, right? Because, you know, you you have to still have enough um, encounters with your patients to make sure that they're being seen, but um, you also have to add the COVID testing and everything else on top of that. And sometimes your folks are impacted by it just like everybody else, where their families are exposed or maybe they are kind of thing. It's it's insane. But I appreciate what you're doing because definitely on the frontline hero right now. Oh, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. So John, you know, um, you know, we, we introed a little about what your, your dad did and um, a lot of us in the air force get to learn a lot about what your dad did. Cause it's such, such an amazing feat. But um, we were thinking that to start this discussion off, you can kind of share with us, you know, how did you grow up? You know, how did you become the man you are today? So uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, it probably took me, it took me a bunch of years after dad died to actually kind of figure out um, how I was influenced growing up. But um, mm. so, you know, growing up as a kid, you know, I did all sorts of things that kids don't do. I mean, I had a tux mm. before I graduated high school and, mm. and uh, you know, I went to, I think, three or four inaugurations and, and uh, I had all these uncles that were, um, you know, heroes. And it's funny, you know, you know, as I talk to ALS or NCOs classes, um, you know, I talk about perspective and my perspective was really skewed growing up because my reference was a bunch of Medal of Honor recipients. Hmm. So, you know, Pappy Boynton, Doolittle, I mean, these are all people who were around me growing up. So, um, you know, it's interesting because that certainly framed my life moving forward and and probably made me be very driven um, mm. to really succeed. So growing up uh, as a kid, you know, uh, split my time between DC and Connecticut, uh, 
bulk bulk of it in Connecticut, uh, getting ready to uh, you know f going through school, figuring out uh, what I wanted to do after high school. You know, the challenging part that many people don't realize, and you know, I'm pretty um, I'm pretty wide open, and I you know talk about the stuff that you know is always there. Is you know it was tough at times being the son of John Levito because of John Levito at times, and and the metal was is very taxing on a family, and <laughs> and people probably don't realize that, but I think my dad there there are years my dad traveled, you know, forty weeks a year, um, for the medal um, to do ceremonies. You know, it was great to go to these ceremonies, but you know certainly you know my dad turned to alcohol, which wasn't probably the thing to do um mm -hmm. now let me preface this with you know my dad was my best friend and when he died i lost my best friend and my dad so you know early on we may have had a rocky relationship but we patched mm -hmm. it all up so <laughs> so uh you know after high school what am i going to do so um i was going to become an air force officer that wasn't necessarily my career goal. I think that was more <laughs> my, my dad's career goal. So, so, you know, I started the academy process and um, <clears throat> went through the physical and I'm like, what the heck am I doing? You know, that's going to be worse than anything. So then I got an ROTC scholarship. And um, so this is funny, you know, I think about it. The name totally helped me with the ROTC scholarship because I mm. got an ROTC scholarship in engineering. I barely pass math in high school. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so got an ROTC scholarship. Ended up, um, you know, I was a volunteer firefighter in my community, and and was really into that. And um, we had a helicopter crash, and and uh, one of the medical helicopter crashes in Connecticut. And I'm just like, oh, maybe I'll do nursing, and or something else. Maybe I'll do something else. And at that point, I was like, said to my dad, hey, maybe I'll go in as enlisted, and you know, do firefighting. And dad wasn't excited about that idea. So, so he's like, no, no, why don't you go in and be, become a nurse and uh, then you can still get your commission. So switched it to um, a nursing scholarship and uh, got to, went to Syracuse, did two years and had some medical issues. I mean, it, I stressed myself out. I ended up in the hospital first year with pneumonia and some other wow. issues and it was, it was just all stress. I did well, I mean, I got academic achievement awards and I got a bunch of awards in ROTC. Um, it just, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't probably gonna work for me because it was obvious that I was treated differently because of who I was. Hmm. And uh, so end of sophomore year, they say we're gonna roll, we're gonna um, disenroll you on medical reasons. And um, I'm like, okay, great. So then I had to call my dad, right? So he's like, well, there's waivers. I'm like, yeah, I'm all set. I'm good. I'm good. I think, it, I think it's time. I think it's time I go on my own path. So um, he was really mad at me, really mad. So we probably, that's when we had a little bit of a rift, but um, I'm not sure it was because of the tuition at Syracuse or because I wasn't going to become an Air Force <laughs> officer. So, uh, so yeah, so I figured out my own path and um, I wanted to be a flight nurse and then I wanted to be a program director and um, I got out of school, got my first job in Baltimore, shock trauma and kind of checked the boxes from there, did uh, ER and then I started my first flight job three years after graduating. So then I became a program director, 
seven years after that. <laughs> and then I had to start all over again because I didn't know what I wanted to do. So then I started this journey and now I'm a chief nursing officer and now I'm trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty amazing. Uh, you know, I was going to ask you, so you're talking about just the pressures of, you know, the on the family and from what I understand, and this is, I mean, you could probably clarify whether or not this is true or not. Um, I heard like that your dad had a lot, of, a lot of problems with having to travel so much and not being able to do his job anymore because he really loved his job. Is that something that was, that's pretty true or? Yeah. I mean, it was certainly, it was a challenge. Um, you know, he, he loved serving the veterans and, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, he was torn because um, you know, the airmen were just important in his life and you know, luckily he had um, supervisors that really um, supported him. But but I'll tell you, despite that, my dad made such an impact in Connecticut, especially in, mm-hmm. in on veterans' lives in Connecticut. So, yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's just astounding that a lot of people won't even consider all the um, the stressors and pressures that can come on, not just the member themselves, their family, you know, when something like this that, you know, everyone will see as amazing happens. But there's a lot that comes, a lot of baggage that comes along the way with that. And um, kudos to you to uh, uh, to get through it as well as, as his son and be able to see all those things. Because like you said, you kind of went through a rift with them too. And I'm sure that mm-hmm. it's not necessarily has to do with uh, who, who, his Medal of Honor or anything like that. What I, well, I guess the big point I'm bringing to the table is that every family has challenges. It doesn't matter if you have a medal of honor within, within your family and, and, and the challenges that y'all had. Um, yeah. It's just you, you, the service that you've, you, you and your family have to this country is just amazing. And really thank you for that. Uh, no problem. I mean, but, and you know, it's funny you bring that up and that's the, you know, I, I do base visits and I love sharing my dad's message with the airmen because I get my dad's message now in 2000 when he died um, I stood at his graveside and I saw so many people. I, I was, I, I knew my dad was a big thing. And when I saw so many people, in fact, we had a small reception that became a large reception that went many more hours than it was supposed to because of the people that traveled to um, come to the funeral. You know, I remember these two senior airmen and they drove up from North Carolina. They were, um, you know, F, F-15 guys from Seymour Johnson, and, and nice. they just, you know, we spent time talking to everybody, and it, it was just, it was, it was really amazing, and I really thought I got his message then, but it would take a bunch more years for me to, and life to live to actually figure out what my dad taught me. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so I, I can see that for sure. Man, so what is it that you know about the fateful day, you know, that everything occurred? Because I'm sure you have some insight that we don't necessarily have. uh, And you probably got it from people that were actually there and people that, you know, knew your dad really well. Um, So is there any insight you could share us about what happened that day? So my dad never talked about it. Uh, Let Mm -hmm. me let me just preface it with this. And it's so funny growing up, um, you know, I'd ask my dad. So what did he do and what did he do? And, um, you know, I had a book. I had this Medal of Honor citation book that I literally, that's what I used growing up because like, well, what did he do? Let me read about it. Um, because my dad said, you never ask them what they did. 
And so he didn't talk about his service, but so after he died, I had the opportunity to um, actually talk with the pilot and Carpenter, um, which we, who we recently lost, unfortunately. Um, but, um, you know, we, we got to do an interview and it was really great to be able to hear his perspective. And um, I am just as in awe that he put the airplane down on the ground as mm. what my dad did. So, um, you know, he talked about the aircraft being in a 30 degree bank and that's when my dad was trying to get the flare out. And it just, you know, that was, that was kind of surreal to, to um, learn that. So, um, you know, from what I understand is, you know, they, the mortar round hit, um, the pilot said they, they lost, um, you know, controls of the aircraft. They had to, you know, do some things to be able to get better control of the aircraft. It was pitching and yawing kind of all over the place and, you know, in that bank. And that's when was what my dad was dealing with in the back. Um, he pulled, uh, he pulled one of the gunners away from the door and then, um, you know, he dragged the flare and tossed it out. Um, when they landed, my dad uh, wasn't conscious by then. He passed out by then. So um, he was kind oh. of whisked away. And, um, you know, Ken, had, uh, the pilot, Ken Carpenter, had Major Carpenter had talked to my dad and when he was in the hospital and said, hey, John, I'm putting you in for an award. And, and my dad's like, I don't need an award. He's like, he's like, I didn't, I did my job. And, and he's like, no, we're going to put you in for a big award. So, um, you know, and that's how the medal, that's how my dad got the medal because Major Carpenter put him in for it. I mean, funny story, my dad was still in the hospital and he got a call uh, from a colonel at eighth air force. And um, they said, uh, Hey John, you know, you're put in for the air force, air force cross and it fell through. Hmm. Um, um, and it's or the Air Force Cross isn't going to happen. And my dad's like, "All right, you know, win some, lose some, I'm first term airman." And and the colonel's like, well, "Well, no, it's being upgraded." And my dad's like, "You're not funny," and hung up on him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so the same colonel calls back and says, "No, I'm serious. You're put in being put in for the Medal of Honor." And my dad said, "You weren't funny the first time. You're still not funny now." And hung up on him again. So. His, his squadron commander had to come find him and say, did you hang up on a colonel twice? He's like, yeah, he wasn't yes. a funny. So. <laughs> that's awesome. Such a down-to-earth person. Um, I, I guess that's the part that I'm, as I listen to you talk about this whole experience and what you and your family went through, the the humble heart that I hear is what I'm really, like, latching onto, I guess. Um especially because, you know, a second ago, you talked about how, um, I guess, your perspective changes on parents, you know, in this case with your father. And, uh, you know, uh, I have the the blessing right now of having my family with me. Um, and I've seen my dad go through this transformation. And it was Thanksgiving. And uh, we went around the table, kind of started talking about what we're thankful for. And um, I, I just saw this person who, as when I was a kid, was my hero. And then you kind of become a teenager and a young man and you just, ah, he's full of it, right? Like, I don't know what he's talking about. He's always trying to tell me what to do. And then he comes back to the hero, you know, um, that, that journey that you went through with your father, um, is there anything that you think helped you guys get back to that point? Was it just you experiencing life and understanding his perspective? Yeah, I, I think it was a combination of, and, you know, I don't, 
I don't necessarily talk about some of this all the time, but um, you know, I find that you know I'm going through some tough times, some health stuff right now. But I find if you you really need to talk about stuff and you share stuff, it helps others. So um, you know, so I've been very driven and very hard on myself my whole life, and it was a direct impact of how my dad raised me. You know, I started working at 13. You know, my kids are. 18 and 16 and I can't get them to get a job. And I'm like, I'm like, I'm a failure as a parent. But um, so, you know, I started working as 13. And, you know, I was buying all my own clothes before I graduated high school. And, and, you know, that's the way I was raised. So we had our little rift in, in sophomore year. And uh, so then I enjoyed the rest of my college. I mean, I worked full time. I worked four nights on four nights off as a EMT. And, and then I was going to college full time. And then I drank plenty of time when I wasn't in school. <laughs> but, um, you know, I quickly saw, and even the first couple of years after um, college, I quickly saw that alcohol became my, you know, became something that I used to um, deal with, you know, depression, stress, whatever, you know. And um, so, you know, I, one day, you know, I, I was, uh, came home from work and uh, it was during the summer between uh, semesters and, and uh, I came home from work. I'd had a really bad call with a pediatric that got dropped and had a head injury and was seeing the whole way to the hospital. And, you know, I came home and the first thing I did was gra went to grab a drink. And I was like, oh my God, what are you doing now? You know, I think that was the point where I began to realize I may have a problem. It took me a mm. few years to kind of figure out that, all right, well, you need to cut back drinking. And, and, you know, I was able to do that on my own, but that also gave me the opportunity to, you know, share my concern with my dad about his drinking. And, and, uh, wow. and so, you know, we had a knockdown drag out, but um, it was probably the best thing ever, best thing that ever happened between my dad and I, and, you know, he, certainly became my best friend afterwards mm. that's amazing. yeah yeah really is i mean and through your experiences with them i mean what are some what are some of the lessons that you took from from him that you that shaped who you are now yeah so um you know like i said uh you know 2000 november 2000 you know standing up at his grave site and mm -hmm. you know i uh i you know, said a few words and, you know, um, got the crowd laughing because my dad said he wanted to be buried standing up and near Kennedy's grave so he'd stay warm. But, uh, but, uh, yeah, that was him. I mean, that was, that was him. And, and uh, so then, you know, the speaking um, invitations came out and, you know, it was, it was actually very interesting traveling to Air Force bases post 9-11, really post 9-11. So it was mm. very interesting. So went down to Keesler for the building dedication. And, um, you know, I'm reviewing troops. I'm like, and this is the thing that not everyone understands. I, I, I feel totally awkward, right? Mm -hmm. Because, because, you know, I'm the kid, you know, I, I'm not my dad. And there are, I'd be, I'd lie. If there's times that I would, that I don't say, think that, you know, I gave up and I really haven't served mm -hmm. my country. It, you guys are going to say I've served in a different way and I get that, mm -hmm. um, you know, but, but it's still in my head, you know, you know, I haven't necessarily served like both of you serve. So, um, 
did some did some speaking you know made some really great really great lifelong connections and people that I still talk to today but then a war happened and um, I kind of fell off the face of the earth and and then uh, you know 2016 a recruiting squadron called me and wanted me to you know be a keynote for their banquet and I'm like okay what what the heck am I going to talk about and (laughs) you know I I talked about you know my dad's stressed importance on leadership and you know education and you know it was really superficial. I don't think what I have now. So, uh, you know, a, a bunch of years of living and getting married and, you know, going through, you know, tough time in a marriage and having kids and having a special needs kid. And my job experience really taught me a bunch. And so I really distilled it down into four pillars. And and as I look back on my career, these this is what's driven me. And the first is education. You know, education is really important. I have a doctorate, never thought I was to get a doctorate um i actually have looked at other doctorates i'm like oh i want to get another one but um (laughs) but uh you know i I love the whole uh aspect of you know lifelong learning and and continuing to learn uh the second is service before self which you know it's interesting you know serve for self there's lots of stories and lots of people can talk really eloquently about it the thing that I think that we miss is that um, you can serve everyone else before yourself all you want, but if you don't take care of yourself or take care of those that support you, you're going to lose the ability to serve. Mm-hmm. And that's something it took me a while to learn, but, you know, I figured that out and, and, you know, my job is really important while my patients are really important. My family's just as important because they're the ones that are going to enable me to be continue to serve. Yeah. Uh, humility, um, you know, you can't talk about leadership without talking about humility nowadays, right? That's what I joke about. It's in every leadership book. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I think humility is, um, you know, that's really been my guiding guiding light as a leader. And, uh, you know, it dawned on me recently that, um, you know, in order to be a good leader, you really need to be in the space between humility and uh, expertise in your trade, right? So that's where you need to float because as a leader, you need to have that expertise, you know, leadership or, or you know, um, Joe, when you were, uh, you know, prior to your current role, when you were in CE and, you know, your specific areas, you'd have that, that expertise right. and you, you got to have balance it with that humility because if you're not humble mm-hmm. and, and, you know, we all know people who say talk about humility who they are no nowhere near humble yeah it's so, like humble yeah. <laughs> so <They're> most humble <laughs> so so you know the the more i think the more i thought about humility i'm like well you know we can talk about humility but it's really the balance it's mm. really that balance and you got to operate in that space between and mm. you got to know when to go more towards your know, expertise and more towards humility um so you know that's really um something that I really kind of figured out, but I want to tell a story about humility and my dad. And yeah. um, so um, Lucy, my wife uh, and I were dating when he was dying. And uh, so I was in North Carolina, I'd work four days on and then I would drive all night to Connecticut. And then I'd spend my four days off of my dad and then I would drive all night back to, to do my day shift, the, uh, 
that following day. So I, I did that for a number of months and my wife was a flight attendant. So she'd fly up and, and see us. And so we uh, were walking the house one day um, to visit him. And uh, he's like, he's like, I got to find a letter. I got to find this letter I wrote. I'm like, what do you talk about dad? And he's like, this letter. So finally he finds it and he hands it to me. And my father wrote a letter to the um, secretary of the air force and the chief of staff of the air force um, offering to give his medal of honor back if Pitsenbarger would get medal would get upgraded to the medal of honor. And this is something my dad had been kind of pushing. Um, he truly believed when he got the medal, he only got recognized because someone was there to write it down. Hmm. Um, and he really truly believed that Pitsenbarger deserved the upgrade to the point where I have no doubt he would have given his medal back. I have no doubt he would have done that. I have no doubt he would have driven to DC and given it to somebody to make a point. But so, um, you know, this, the, he talked to this letter and, and, you know, I came to find out uh, Bill Chivalet, the curator from the Heritage Hall retired a couple of years back and kind of in his remarks, he said that letter was included in Pittsburgh award package. Wow. So, you know, that's, that's, that's humility. I mean, that's humility in, in my eyes. And, he didn't talk about what he did. He just did it. So, you know, that's, that's a really special story about humility that I like to share. And, you know, finally living beyond your 10 minutes. And um, this is something I love to talk about, especially in relation to the Levito Award. Um, you know, you, you have those students that want to get that award because it looks good on their EPR. And, you know, <laughs> they're going to do great because they're a Levito um, recipient. And then you have those that are going through the program and they want to learn and they, um, you know, they get the award because of the work they did um, through the program. And my kind of whole goal when I love, when I talk is that um, I, I want to make the Levito award more about an award or something on an EP, EP, EPR than, and I want it to be what I think it represents and what my dad would have wanted to represent. And I think it's an opportunity. And my dad used the Medal of Honor as an opportunity. And he uses an opportunity to serve airmen. He used an opportunity to um, advance um, veterans care. I mean, so he, he, he used the medal and he used it for great things. And that's how I view the Levito Award. And, and, uh, and Joe, I know you know this, but I Facebook stalk. So I Facebook stalk all the Levito recipients. And, uh, <laughs> and so w when appropriate, I'll send them personal messages or I'll send class messages. And, and I share some of these things. I share about education. I share about opportunity. And, you know, I think it provides, it provides some context because it makes it more. So it's, it's not the award. It's mm -hmm. really what's behind the award and what it really means. So those are my four pillars. And, and I kind of use those as I, as I go through life. And as I think back, you know, I can stick everything I've done and everything that's influenced me in one of those four pillars. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And you know, I love, I mean, we can, we kind of pack a lot of stuff with the humility, mm -hmm. but that living beyond your 10 minutes, you know, I think it's such a great lesson because, you know, we've kind of developed this culture where, 
you, you should strive for these awards and these accomplishments and people get them and then they start thinking they're on a, a pedestal versus, you know, utilizing it as a platform like That's your dad right. did, yep. right, to be able to influence that positive change and they start wanting to get flowers thrown at them, <laughs> whatever else, all the praise that comes along with it when really it's not about you, it's about everybody else. So I think that's a great lesson for real. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, when I when I talk, I actually, I have no doubt that I've saved more lives than my dad did on that mm. night. Mm-hmm. Um, it's different though, because it, the, when you put it into context, mm-hmm. what he did in my eyes is much different on that night. However, on the flip side, I think he's impacted more lives. He impacted more lives out of beyond that event than he did in that event. So, you know, I think, you know, who knows how many veterans he saved or, or how many veterans he lives he impacted. So they didn't go down a road or, or, you know, how many airmen he, you know, motivated by, you know, passing his medal out and letting them use his medal, letting them um, touch his medal and, and just, you know, go into, going to see what they do and that's what i love about base visits like when someone's bringing me in for a base visit i'm like all right well mm-hmm. so i'm yours and mm-hmm. you should use me for every time every second i'm there and mm-hmm. you know they're taking it back i'm like what do you mean i said take me to the place that no one goes take me, <laughs> t- take me to the place and let me talk to the airman that one talks to let them yeah. share their job with me and and you know i think it's you know if i can use the levito name to continue to you know, do what my dad did, you know, that's a way that I can serve. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So do you have a, you know, because there's been a lot of great things that have been attached to Levito name, as well as many events that have occurred and, and celebrations of what he's done. Is there one that sticks out to you that you got to attend that just kind of like, you know, really touched your heart? Um, you know, um, <clears throat> the Pittsburgh Medal of Honor ceremony. Mm. It was a month to the day after my dad died. So, um, it, you know, that was that was really special. Um, you know, spending time with the Pitts and Barger family, spending time with um, uh, Pitts' crew, and, you know, it was a really, it was a great, really great opportunity. And then um, Lucy and I traveled to Hurlburt, and um, we thanked the fourth for doing the flyover for his funeral. You know, that was, that was really kind of special. Um, you know, I, I, as I think back, I don't think there is any event that I've done besides probably the Pitts and Barger um, uh, ceremony that has had a huge impact on me more so than the other. So, mm-hmm. you know, we travel and when we travel, we go, we're going down south or whatever. I'll call the closest base and it's funny i'm like i'll call the als school or the schoolhouse and say hey i'm john levito's kid can i come talk to your lesson <laughs> and and half the they're time like, they're like whatever dude sure right. you are <laughs> do, they, do, they, do they hang up on you like your dad hung up on the colonel <laughs> uh no but but you can hear the skepticism and, and i'm like i'm like okay here call this person and they'll tell you that I'm not a lunatic. That's a murderer. So, or, or they'll have the initial contact, and then I'll follow up with an email and go, okay, you know, I'm sure you want to validate that I'm not an axe murderer, so you can call this person, this person, or this person. But um, so, you know, organically, if we're in the area, we'll, we'll go talk to an ALS class or an NCO class, and, and, and it's great. I mean, it's a great opportunity. Um, 
and those are just as special as anything else I've done. You know, yeah. I've been to so many black tie things. I'm just like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's great. But um, I love being able to share his message. Yeah. Yeah. What a powerful message it is, man. It really it, is. It's pretty awesome. And I know, I know from, uh, you know, just from the, from the maintenance world, you know, Jose was really big on wanting to jump on this podcast podcast to be able to talk to you. So I know he's mm-hmm. really excited and we both are really thankful that you came on. Yeah. I mean, you know, I love it. And, you know, you guys are, you guys are my second. Um, and yeah. uh, <clears throat> it's, uh, you know, it's interesting because you go and the way I format my, my talks is I do a talk and, you know, it's pretty structured and then I do Q and A and probably the Q and A is my favorite part because mm. um you know, just the questions you get. Some, some you get more questions than others. Um, <laughs> some will actually dig into some of this stuff because, you know, who's going to ask the son of John Levito? You know, well, did you have a problem in your relationship growing up with your dad, or, mm-hmm. or you know, and no one's ever going to ask that. But, but that's mm-hmm. all. That's all really part of this whole leadership journey, right? It's really a journey, mm-hmm. and and. Uh, you know, we can read all the book we want and, and however, you really need to experience life and have that perspective. So, you know, I, I think I've been able to identify, you know, how my perspective growing up in, influenced my life at all stages of my life. It, because, you know, early on in my life, it was, wow, this is cool. Look at that airplane, you know. Yeah. Um, I got to, <laughs> you know, when I was a, kid, a teenager, my dad and I went into uh, the Boeing plant and we saw the plywood mock-up of the c-17 it was it was, cool. it was really cool and wow that's stuff that uh, you know I, I wouldn't be able to do i mean um early on after we kind of reconciled um i met him in dc and we went to the pentagon of the pops event and uh so we're on the bus right and uh you know it talked about my dad's drinking and so he 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 mastered the ability to walk on with a drink, the, <laughs> the, the government bus, and then somehow lose the empty before he got off. So, <laughs> so I joke about he taught me how to do that. But so I was standing up because the, uh, the bus was packed. And, you know, there were some Tuskegee Airmen on the bus and you got to talk to a bunch of them. But I'm talking to this, this uh, older gentleman and his wife. And, and, you know, we had a great conversation. And so I go back and go back and find my dad. He's like, do you know who you're talking to? I go, I have no idea, but they're really nice. And he goes, well, that was John Glenn. And I go, really? Wow. So my dad proceeded to let the whole bus know that I was talking to John Glenn and didn't know it was John Glenn. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 you know, that, the events like that and just that I was able to spend time with him. And, and that's when he really was my best friend. And, and so, you know, I think it's, you know, you go through these ups and downs but my dad was a person just like everyone else and he had trouble just like everybody else and you know yeah yeah and and that's that's the kind of lessons i think that we do need to share a little bit mm-hmm. more of those experiences because mm-hmm. you know we're, we're all human none of us are you know infallible and, and to share some of those experiences that you had with your dad and some experiences that he had i think is really important because too many of us are out there trying to impress versus inspire you know show show people that we're, we're superhuman versus you know that we're actually human and you can do it too which is very important so th- like mm-hmm. I, I can't thank you enough for sharing that story because it's just amazing and i know a lot of people get a lot out of it john yes yeah yeah i I love sharing it (laughs) 
Yeah, man. So we can't let you get out of here though without asking you the leadership rapid fire. And I'm thinking, you know, Jose, Jose, you want you want to hit him with them? Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, but before I do that, um, yeah. So uh, I, ironically, um, you know, I have the 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 opportunity to be the squadron superintendent for a C17 mm. maintenance squadron at Dover. And yeah, as soon as we get a chance, I'd love to have you come out and talk to. Uh, some of our maintainers. So um, I'll, I'll keep in contact with you, brother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just shoot me a message. We'll figure something out. Roger that. Oh, yeah. All right. So um, so we're going to ask, or I'll ask four questions. Um, so there's, there's no right or wrong answer. You answer it however you want to answer it. Um, so here's yeah. the first one. What is your favorite leadership trait? Humility. Mm. Humility. I mean, you know, we could talk more about it, but, um, and, you know, when I say humility, um, it's not, it's what I talked about here. Um, you know, really, um, you know, kind of that balance and that, you know, to truly be humble, um, it shouldn't be something you talk about. I mean, you shouldn't have to say, oh, I'm humble. Right. I mean, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. It's like saying I'm classy. I'm super classy. You guys know that, right? <laughs> exactly. I, you know, people read the leadership books and go, okay, check. I'm humble. And yeah. Uh, you know. yeah, yeah. Who's trying to convince me or you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, it ta- it, real humility takes work, right? I mean, it, right. you gotta, you gotta really work at it. So mm-hmm. that was an easy one. Nice. I, I kind of figured that was going to be the one, but I had to ask. All right. Number two, what book would you recommend to an aspiring leader? So um, I just read a book that um, I loved and it's um, there, there was, there's not a whole bunch of content in this, but this it's the motive by Patrick Lencioni. Hmm. And um, what I loved about the book is it, re- he talked about, servant leadership and how um, we should never talk about servant leadership ever again, because all leadership should be servant leadership. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I, what I thought, I think about the book is many people become leaders. Well, you know, in the military, you guys, you guys have to progress as leaders, right? I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. that's, that's your normal progression, but in the civilian world, many people become leaders and they don't know why they're becoming leaders. And they shouldn't be leaders because they don't want to sacrifice. They don't have the sacrifice. And it's really about them and their success and not about their staff. And, you know, that's when it clicked for me with leadership. When I finally realized, hey, wait a minute, I'm not doing any of this for me. I'm doing all this for my staff. I'm doing this for my folks. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, you know, and I think that this book was really good because, and I, I don't know if you've read any of his books, but he does a leadership fable. So it's really, mm-hmm. yep. it, it's quick read. I love all his books. It's a quick yeah. read. Um, yeah. But this book was really great because it gets to that, you know, everyone's like, know your why. But um, this really got to the heart of why do you want to be a leader? And if you, if, if your paradigm, your leadership paradigm is A, B, and C, well, mm-hmm. you may need to reevaluate whether you actually should be a leader or not. Yeah, he. I don't think he's written a bad book. I mean, uh, yeah, the five dysfunctions of a team. Amazing. The advantage. I mean, just amazing. I, I haven't even heard of that book yet, but I'll definitely be picking it up. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, it's his newest. It's his newest book. Uh, mm. Yep, we gotta add that one to the to the list. Um, yeah. All right. Third question. What is your favorite quote? Um, so John Maxwell, um, failure should be our teacher, not our undertaker. 
Hmm. Wow. Awesome. Right. I mean, and I think, um, you know, well, we have a resiliency problem in this country, right? I mean, yeah, we do. 100%. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think a lot of it is how we were raised. I think it's how I raised, how I'm raising my kids. I mean, just the influences they, they get outside of the home. I think kind of erase everything we t- try and teach them in the home. And, um, you know, and, and I think, you know, if you really dig down, you know, I, I don't necessarily have a resiliency problem, I think, because of the way I was raised, you know, mm-hmm. the, you know, I was working at 13, you know, I just, you know, would figure it out. I'm not saying, you know, I didn't, ha- I've never had down times in my life. I, I have like everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I think so many people um, get caught up in this failure, and they just let it they let it let it dictate their life and Mm -hmm. they let it run their life when you can't learn if you don't fail. And, Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's the thing that that's the thing in our country that, that I think we've lost sight of. Right. Totally. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I've discovered just fear of failure leads to so many other things like just lack of growing and reaching your potential for sure. Cause you end up not wanting to try things that you, you don't know you're going to be good at, you know, and stay mm-hmm. in a little box and uh, your comfort zone. So for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm dealing with them. Um, so I've been having some cognitive stuff go on. And, and so now I'm at the point where I'm trying to figure out, you know, can I keep doing what I'm doing? Is this work stress making the problem worse? And, Oh, I've had huge fear, huge fear mm-hmm. because I'm like, this is what I do. This is what I do. I, I, I lead, I lead healthcare people. This is what I do. And, um, you know, I, I think that you can let fear drive you or you can figure out a different path. And, and so now, you know, I'm looking, you know, what can I do? What can I do to serve in a different capacity? You know, is there an opportunity, you know, as a civilian on the DOD side, is there an opportunity on the veteran side? So, you know, I, I think that, you know, I'm taking this opportunity as, I'm taking this situation as an opportunity. All right, so this is my new norm. You know, it, what am I going to do with it? And obviously, you, you guys probably you're not seeing anything, because, and that's the hard part. It's like, you know, mm-hmm. you, 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 it, it's that invisible thing, and it's that thing that you know that's there, and you know it's going to it could impact your practice later on. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think fear of failure is something that um, I don't think you can ever master, right? I mean, you you got, it's just something you got to keep working at. Yeah. 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 Give yourself some reps and. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like the, the boxers, right? They can, they can take a punch without flinching. You got to, but you got to train to get there. (laughs) Very true. Very true. All right. So John, this is our uh, fourth and final question. How do you find your harmony between life learning and leadership? I didn't know how I was going to answer this. So um, this, is, this is a hard one. Uh, so I, I, I think it's hard because um, I achieved my career goals 10 years after graduating college, right? So um, I didn't, and, and Joe, I know you talk about this. I've heard you talk about mm-hmm. this, but I didn't take any time to enjoy the scenery on the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it was rush, 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 rush. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, and now I've found, and just from circumstance and, and working, I've achieved the pinnacle of nursing leadership. Yeah. I could a bigger facility. Mm-hmm. So, and I haven't taken time to smell the roses. And so, you know, that's, that's what I've, 
recently kind of realized is the balance that I need. I need to be able to, you know, have a goal, but be able to, you know, take time on the journey and enjoy the journey and not push the journey. You know, I, mm-hmm. I was super overachiever, you know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, my days were just like your days, Joe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I understand why you do it. And that's, that's awesome. And I wish I could do that nowadays, but um, I pushed myself and I pushed myself for other, not so much for personal growth, which I think it's great when you're pushing yourself for personal growth. Mm-hmm. I was pushing myself for the sheer thing of, all right, well, I need to get to XYZ spot, right? Mm-hmm. I need to become XYZ. And I think as you push that, you do a disservice to yourself, especially as a leader, because you don't get to experience the things you need to experience to become a better leader. You don't get to make those mistakes that you need to make, make as a leader. And that's what people don't, I don't see people put a lot of validity in, in the mistakes they make and the value that those mistakes give you. And that's something, you know, I've certainly learned in in healthcare. I mean, you know, I get in the back of a helicopter and I was, I was very comfortable. I could give me a sick patient and I could figure out how to take care of them. And if I ran out of stuff to do, I'd start winging it. You know, I'd have a book, I'd have my book and I'd have my healthcare knowledge. It'd be like, all right, well, I've done A, B, C, maybe, you know, I'll go to E, F, and G. Leadership, you know, you, you read, I love leadership books and I hate leadership books because, <laughs> you know, people read leadership books and they're like, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do A, B, and C. But they don't really do it because they don't understand why they're a leader and they don't understand what their job is as a leader. My job as a leader is not to look good. My job as a leader is to make everyone else look good and to provide everything they need to support our patients. Mm-hmm. So my success is my staff's success. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something people lose. And I lost that a, a good chunk of my career. So now, you know, I'm really being very um, methodical. I'm working with a coach that's helping me look at, think, think things differently um, and that's something I went and did on my own because I'm like, um, you know, I need to think differently. And that's, you know, that's why I listen to podcasts. That's how I found your guys' podcast. Like, if I'm going to talk to airmen, you know, uh, I need to understand, I need to understand them. You know, I understand, I understand Mac sack and tack days. I mean, <laughs> I, <laughs> right. That That's what I grew up under. I mean, I, I, I understand that. I, I don't understand what our airmen are facing nowadays. And so, you know, I listen to a bunch of podcasts and I'm like, it, it gives me a perspective to be able to go in and speak to them, not at them. And I think that's the most important part. Yeah. I know long winded, but I got oh, there. No, I mean, that's, I mean, no, it's awesome. That, that was a great answer. And I think, you know, you're right. We, and, and I have the same love hate relationship with leadership books like you do. Cause I know I love reading them too. And then some of them you feel like they're, they're writing these leadership books and you're like, well, they haven't actually led anybody. You, know <laughs> I mean? you, know? you look at their bios like where, have, yeah. What experience do you have? Right. And then, and then, there's, and then there's other ones, like you said, that they go way deep into the minutia of like, here's your step one through 10 and 
you know, and, and, and leadership isn't made that way. And I've said it multiple times before. I was like, leadership is the most unfair endeavor one can take on. Right? I mean, yep. the higher, the higher you move up in the hierarchy of whatever organization is more likely to get fired for something you don't know anything about, right? Things are happening that you don't know anything about. Um, everybody's different. They all want to be treated different. You got to figure out how to adjust those things, right? I mean, it's and it's not about you at all. Like you said, if you're doing it right, it's about doing everybody it right. else. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing that I've discovered though is when you figure that out, that that clicks. It's such a liberating feeling <laughs> when it's about everybody else. It doesn't yeah. matter what you're doing now. You're literally just serving other people. I could do an Excel spreadsheet or go do whatever. If it's whatever it is, there's nothing. That humility starts to come into play, and you're like, there's no job too small for me if I'm just here to serve everybody else. Mm-hmm. No, I, t- I totally agree. You know, I, I'd be walking down the hallway with pallet jacks with, with a pallet of stuff on it. Like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, we got, we got to move this stuff. They're like, why are you doing it? Well, why not? So. Yeah. You got, you do what needs to be done. Exactly. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> man, John, this is awesome. This is awesome. Thank you so much for visiting the lounge, man. I know it's, a, it's been a long time coming and I think we need to do this again and talk a little bit more about leadership perspectives and we can share a little bit more from, you know, leadership just from your career field and what you've experienced. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, thanks for letting me share. Thanks for letting me share my story. And, and uh, you know, I love the show. I love the show. I listen to every episode. I really love the show. And it's, uh, you know, I love having the opportunity to talk about this and you know, it's therapeutic for me. So it's really does more for me than I can probably convey. So. Oh man, that means a lot. We, we me, me and Jose will t- tell you that it's therapeutic for us too. <laughs> you know, when you, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When you, when you get your butt kicked every day every, <laughs> at work, whatever you're doing, you, having to talk to other people and be a little bit vulnerable, even though it's in front of, I don't know how many people are listening to this, but you know, it is therapeutic for us too. So thank you for coming on and thank you for everything you're doing. And, and I know you talked about a little earlier about, um, you know, the, the service piece of it. And I will say exactly what you said, you are serving and you are serving maybe in a different capacity, but you, you're serving airmen, you're serving your country. And right now with the pandemic and everything else, mm-hmm. you're serving in ways that I truly appreciate. And I don't think people are still showing enough appreciation for. Well, thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, hey, to all our listeners, be safe, stay healthy, and llamas out. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Llama Lounge podcast. Be sure to visit the homepage for links to products and services related to this episode. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice. See you next time.